Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 173 of the InFocus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. With me, as always, is Andrew Brown. Enchanted is finally on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> little off topic. Tori Wa- I'm very excited. <laughs> and Tori Wassana. Hello. So, Andrew, uh, advertise something for Disney+. Plus. Did you want to do anything? Uh, I watched Shang-Chi, and I really liked it. Cool. <laughs> I'll be watching that soon. Shang-Chi. Uh, yeah, uh, this week we've got a, a bit of a packed episode. We're going to catch up on uh, Andrew's closing thoughts on Nino Kuni 2, Revenant Kingdom. Uh, I'm going to talk about open world zombie parkour thing, Dying Light. Uh, and is it a game or is it an art package? Colors Live. Tori's bringing the chat about Animal Crossing. Uh, Happy Home Paradise DLC for New Horizons. We're going to chat about the Game & Watch Legend of Zelda edition. And we're going to talk a bit about Shin Megami Tensei Five, and early thoughts on that one. Uh, so with that, let's get into updates from the previous episode, which is all Nino Kuni. So Andrew, you finished Nino Kuni 2 finally. Finally, I've only been working on it for a couple months. It actually isn't that long uh, as far as RPGs go, and how long it actually is going to take is going to depend upon how much attention you put into the kingdom management stuff which is actually what most of the game is the story itself is quite short uh usually Mm -hmm. after you go to the next chapter there's like maybe one dungeon sometimes there's two then there's a big boss and then that's it and there's nine chapters total so you, you can get through the main game fairly quickly but there's a lot of kingdom management stuff you can do after Evan has founded his own personal kingdom, and that was where most of my energy and most of my playtime actually went into, and almost Mm -hmm. everything you can do in the game actually adds into that kingdom management stuff. Almost everything you do develops the kingdom in some way, so... You, you find a lot of items or you get a lot of little rare monsters that you can hunt down and kill and that that develops the kingdom by getting you new citizens that you can recruit and each new citizen will increase the upgrades that you can research in the town or just you can put them to work on the farm or in a in a market garden or in a market or something like that and that, that'll also generate items for you that you can then use to upgrade your characters because you need a lot of little random items to upgrade your spells so that that's really the the pipeline of the game is you go out and you do side quests and the side quests improve your kingdom and then the better your kingdom is the more powerful your spells are so the 60 plus hours i put into it probably 40 plus of it i spent actually developing the kingdom because i I did play the (laughs) game on expert the hardest difficulty it really it wasn't that hard (laughs) there were a few there were a few enemies that were kind of a pain in the butt i think it's just because they were cheap enemies but overall i i Mm -hmm. got through the game just fine on the hardest difficulty so i would imagine and i have read in fact criticisms that on the default difficulty this game is really really easy (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah but I did quite enjoy it. Uh, it's not all winners like that. I mentioned that one set of side quests where the game suddenly turns into a real-time strategy game. It's not a very interesting real-time strategy game. You can recruit lots of soldiers for your army. I just used the same four through the entire game. <laughs> I never had to switch them off. You just, I just got a balanced party because there's a, a rock, paper, scissors system in the game and I just had one of each type and then I had a, an archer to back up my other three and then I just plowed through all of the military missions with that. that. I think that was the weak part of the game that didn't seem to add 
much of significance either to the game or to the kingdom management stuff. But a very small part of the game, a very easily ignorable part of the game. Andy told me that he played through it. He only did the the story missions for the RTS Mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, I did a little bit more. I don't really feel like I got much out of it except for, in a few places, a couple of new citizens. So that was nice. But there's still a lot of stuff because this is the Prince's edition. So all the post-game DLC has also been added in. And I have to do a lot more kingdom development stuff and I have to get my party much higher. My guys are all in the low 70s right now and uh, the recommended level for the the top DLC is level 120. So I have a, a <laughs> long way to go to complete everything. But I, I love Nino Kuni too. It kept me really engaged. Uh, I was more than happy to just keep doing side quests to develop out the kingdom in between story missions and it was just the fact that smt5 was almost out that i just decided to wrap the game up otherwise i probably would have kept going just to round out the year on it i enjoyed it i recommend it i thought it was really good i liked it a lot better in the first game the only problem is that the the, the switch port is graphically impressive like uh, they don't feel like they compromised much on the graphics compared to the the playstation 4 and the xbox one versions the problem is that by not reducing like the quality of the character models or the textures or for all I know the resolution uh the game runs at about 25 maybe the low 20 fps on average so if that really bothers you then you're probably not going to have a good time with it on switch but I got through the whole game it didn't crash once and the fps I noticed it but it didn't affect my ability to play the game any so I just, just kind of ignored it and I had a good time with it. Nice. Yeah, I like that one. I, th- I think um, if you could marry the, the storytelling of the first with the mechanics of this one, yeah. you'd end up with a, a kind of best case scenario. So The storytelling in this was really naive. Like, uh, <laughs> like every time you go to a kingdom and then you have to deal with the local issue, which usually comes down to a problem the leader is having, which shows that the leader is corrupt or has gone evil or whatever, and then... Once he solved the problem, he's just, he's still the leader. It's like, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't think I'm spoiling anything. I I talked about in the first episode when we introduced the game, how the game opens with a coup and you actually Mm -hmm. go back to that kingdom and you do liberate the kingdom from the coup. And then the guy who led the coup just gets to keep being king. It's like, Mm -hmm. what? (laughs) No. No lessons for anyone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody learns anything in this game. And like at one point they decide that the goal of the game is to unite the world. And Roland, one of the main characters is like, so, uh, I forget I forget exactly what it was, but seriously, the way it was phrased sounded like they were going to go out and for world domination, even though what they're really going to do is get, <laughs> get everybody to sign a treaty so that way they're all joined together. Uh, it was, yeah. And like, and as I said, you, you spend a lot of the game recruiting new citizens for your kingdom, and you basically go around to, to the other kingdoms and steal their most valuable, like most productive citizens and stuff. Like, that's called brain drain. And like... <laughs> Uh, wars have been fought over that kind of stuff. That was a big thing in the Cold War. <laughs> and, <laughs> it's like governments don't like it when you do that. That's that's like that's an espionage thing. So, but in this game, it's like whatever. See ya. <laughs> Very naive game, but you don't play this game for the story. It's the kingdom management stuff is what I really drew me into this. Mm-hmm. Cool. So that's that one. Um, and then we'll move on to the uh, new stuff we've been playing in the last week. Okay. Uh, so first up, 
let's start with the hardware release, uh, which is, of course, the Game & Watch Legend of Zelda edition. So much like the, the Mario one last year, this is a kind of a, a re-release of the form factor, but not the, the game or the formats. Uh, so it's a, a Game & Watch shell with uh, the original Legend of Zelda from the, from the NES, and Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link, and my personal favourite of the, the 2D Zeldas, The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening from the Game Boy. Uh, there's also a Game & Watch game here, Vermin, uh, with Link as the main character. And yeah, so like with the the Mario one, it's, uh, you know, on face value, it's these a collection of games, but there's there's a little bit more to it than that. There's some secrets to find. And the biggest one uh, that I was surprised to discover was the cheats for all three games. Yeah. Uh, you, you're aware of those? <laughs> no, I am. The same input for all three, but they do different things. Yep, so in the first Zelda, you can uh, uh, do a cheat to fill your hearts back up. Um, in uh, Zelda 2, you can start the game with full magic and full life. And in Link's Awakening, you can start with uh, maximum hearts and unlock the the next level sword. Yeah, so you get these things from the off. Not something I'd ever use for these, but, you know, a uh, nice quality of life thing if you just want to plow through uh, in, a, in a quick frame of time. Um, did we all notice the little light-up Triforce on the back? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I I only noticed when I was trying to show my wife what the screen looked like. <laughs> <laughs> and I was holding it up and was like, oh, what's this? Yeah, so uh, nice little uh, collection. I think, um, obviously, you know, everyone is really down on, on Zelda 2. Andrew is uh, the outlier in that and is a big fan. And uh, I enjoy his, cra- uh, his crusade to turn people around on that. People who say Zelda 2 is too hard need to play more than the first few hours of The Legend of Zelda. The original Legend of Zelda is much harder than Zelda 2 is. I don't care. <laughs> you are wrong. Just flat out. <laughs> uh, I need I need to go back and, and try it. It's, it's one of two that I've never beat. The other one's Majora's Mask, which is the thing that everyone will yell at me about. But yeah, uh, uh, a nice little package overall. I think like there's, 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 there's some secrets, but I think it's like missing... The, like the fun hidden video of like the Mario one where it taught you how to draw him, um, some stuff like that. I haven't put too much time into Vermin. Anyone played that much at all? No, not yet. <laughs> I, I may never boot that game up. I just, I, just, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm happy with it as a package. I, I think it's, uh, you know, I'm. It's mostly a collectible for me. It's not like it, it's probably going to remain in its box, even though you can transform the box into some sort of uh, stand to display it. But uh, yeah, ma- mainly a collectible item for me. I'm, I'm a little bitter that they didn't go the extra mile and try and match the original Zelda game on watch, which was a clamshell little bespoke adventure game um i would love to have seen that put in here at some point but yeah they were never going to do a a clamshell for this i don't think yeah i think they've kind of decided on the form factor which makes me wonder if they're going to do more in the future Mm -hmm. i reckon and uh yeah twice now i've bought these things and expected it to use the small little batteries that the original game and watch used to use forgetting that usb power is a thing (laughs) so that's a thing do i have any complaints my it's probably the same one I had for the for the Mario one. I don't think the rubbery, spongy buttons suit, you know, like, reaction-focused games. Uh, this was more of a criticism probably with Mario. But, uh, yeah, that, that's, you know, it's following the Game & Watch model. I can't really com- complain about that. It's just that they feel less reactive to me. Yeah, there's a longer travel on it. Mm-hmm. I definitely felt it on Mario, but I think Zelda's mm-hmm. a much better fit. 
Yeah. But yeah, it still just doesn't have that nice nice feel to it. But uh. Well, I, I just beat The Legend of Zelda, like the original, just minutes before we started recording. And it felt like The Legend of Zelda on a super small screen. Actually, that's the first thing I thought when I opened it up. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> the screen is so small. <laughs> it's like the size of two SD cards. <laughs> but I, I adjusted to it. And once I got into it, it felt just like just just like playing the game on any other platform, really. Uh, mm-hmm. I encountered the same trouble spots, like level six is a, a, a freaking nightmare. <laughs> and the rest of the game is really not too bad. Uh, but level six and the, and the last level are really tough dungeons because of a certain group of enemies that appears in most of the rooms in those dungeons. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't have too many problems with the controls. Like, uh, I would play with the buttons in the d-pad with my thumbs and i would just support the unit which weighs like nothing with my fingers so i didn't have too many problems just just playing it but legend of zelda is a reactive game but it's not quite like super mario brothers mm-hmm. yeah i i haven't had a chance to play that yet but i, I did manage to finally pre-order a super mario brothers <laughs> game and watch so i i will have a chance to play that before the end of the month hopefully and i can imagine that being much more of a problem and then zelda 2 i'll probably start in the next couple days and that's that's a side scroller that's got a lot of jumping platforming in it so maybe i'll have more of a problem with the controls on that one but all the problems that i did have playing this they just felt like things that were inherent to the original game not not just hardware issues so i didn't really Mm -hmm. have a problem with it in that regard um also uh the small screen actually brings link's awakening to life a bit more i thought i thought the graphics look really tight but that that's just mm. natural when you you're dealing with those those kinds of graphics uh. well because the game boy the original resolution on that was actually a one-to-one whereas uh the nes resolution was four by three so if you're mm-hmm. playing link's awakening if you're playing in the native resolution you're not playing the stretched resolution don't do that uh it's actually a smaller images on a very small screen so that's mm-hmm. kind of an interesting experience Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's that. Uh, overall, I'm happy with the purchase, Andrew. Like you said, you have see it more as a collectible. Like I'm using it as an opportunity to play the games again because I will take any excuse to replay a game, especially a Zelda game. <laughs> so that's why I'm doing that. But I think once I've beaten these three games, this thing is going to go in a box and it's going to go on a shelf because mm-hmm. uh, uh, it, it's certainly not an ideal way to replay these games. Uh, <laughs> so... I'm just happy to to own it as a collectible, and I'm happy to replay the games that are on it, just just to replay them yet again. And then when I do feel the desire to revisit them again, I'll just I'll play them on my Switch, or I'll I'll get out my Retron and I'll play my original cartridges. But probably not gonna ever revisit this thing once I'm done with it. Uh, I'm really happy to have this because my first ever video game was Zelda Two. I know it's an odd one, but still definitely got that sentimental attachment to the game uh i want to play it again on this because i technically haven't replayed it since i was five years old so it's uh definitely a collectible but it's a collectible that you can use and Mm -hmm. i think because it's going to have much more of a sentimental value to me than a, a financial investment sort of collectible uh i definitely want to at least finish zelda 2 on it i actually overall like that it's got a little bit extra value compared to the mario one just in terms of more games and it's even got the japanese versions of the original games which has have some different songs and features not really much more than a novelty but it's still cool that it's included mm-hmm. um 
yeah, I'm just kind of excited to see if they do another one of these for like Kirby or Metroid or Mother. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> don't give them ideas. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, moving on, uh, let's talk about Colors Live, uh, which I'll say up front, I bought completely as a curiosity rather than something for me to sink my time into. Some of you may know if you follow me on uh, the socials, one of my hobbies is digital art. So I just, at the moment, I'm doing a lot of uh, what we call studies where I'm repainting, you know, scenes from movies or uh, other art to try and learn techniques about lighting and, and things like that. Also doing some some of the odd cat portraits. Uh, Andrew's is, is one. Uh, his little pipsqueak is uh, one that I've, I've painted. And yeah, so I, I, I saw this a few months ago in the store and yeah, I... I was in a Big W the other day and they had the box copy with the pen and everything and I, I kind of couldn't resist. So Colors Live is basically an art package for your, for your Nintendo Switch. Um, I wouldn't have normally bought this as a physical release because of the just the style of product it is. I would have got digital because you know you would jump in and out. But if you buy it digitally, you have to order the pen separately. Uh, and that's why I ended up with the, the box one. Um, but for how infrequently I'm going to use it, that's it's probably fine, I'm not, not too fussed. Um, so as an art package, uh, the first thing that I realised when I was partway through my first picture uh, was that there are missing features that are quoted on the back of the box, which isn't a great start. Um, so the back of the box promises blending uh, and special layers. Uh, if blending is in here, I cannot find it for the life of me. And these menus are pretty simplistic, so I, I'd be surprised. But, you know, if uh, anyone else has used it and can set me straight, I'm happy to, to be wrong on that. Um, it also promises tons of brushes. There are like eight. I'm no mathematician, but I don't think eight qualifies as a ton. <laughs> Um, but you can change the size and the opacity. Um, they're all kind of a bit boring. Most of them are round brushes. Uh, there's like one bristle brush, which, you know, you only get one additional style with that. And there's some uh, pixel art brushes, uh, which are okay, but I haven't really experimented with them. But this game exists on other formats. Uh, so I have reason to believe those other formats might have these missing features and that they'll probably come to Switch at some point in the future. Uh, we'll get into the ongoing support a bit later. Um, but going by screenies on the Colors Live website, uh, you know, they're, they're definitely showing these features that aren't in the game as I'm playing it at the moment. Yeah, so getting this uh, game with the pen. Uh, the pen is a, is the interesting thing, and that, that's the main reason I wanted to pick it up, because of how that works. Um, it's called the Sonar Pen, and it's called that because you plug it into your headphone jack, and you have to turn the volume up to full to manage pressure sensitivity. Um, unlike a modern drawing pen for like a Wacom tablet or Apple pen for the for the iPad Pro, it's like a really old fashioned stylus where it's got like a little plastic guide disc on the bottom, um, which kind of obscures your view a little. I'll get onto that a bit later. And the pen itself, the overall build quality, it's, it feels quite cheap, cheaply made. It's light as a feather. Um, it does have a button, which surprises me. That brings up the bus select, uh, the, the brush selection screen uh, where you can change all your settings and mess with your layers as well. Uh, that's kind of useful, but that brings me on to the process of actually drawing something on the Switch. Uh, so uh, when I paint, you know, outside of this as a hobby, I use one of two things. I use a Wacom 
Cintiq, uh, which it's the cheapest model, but you get a, a fairly big size screen. Uh, and I use an iPad Pro, which I, I picked up recently. I went for the larger Pro purely because of the screen size, because that's something I feel I need. Uh, this might not be true for everyone, you know, and even some of the non-screen focus tablets uh, are pretty good for drawing even some of the smaller ones but that you know it's it's one of those factors that's, that I feel is important to me that doesn't translate that well when I'm drawing on the switch just because of that size difference it would probably be better if the analog sticks of the Joy-Cons were not kind of in the way and that is unavoidable like there's no there's no on-screen option for every little feature that you can do most of it's mapped to the uh, Joy-Cons um, so, how they're mapped is your uh, undo and redo are mapped to the triggers, uh, zoom, color pickers, grab, and all that kind of stuff are mapped to face buttons, um, and you can flick through the different layers of your image with the analog stick, which I didn't realize till much later until I had put on my uh, old drifty Joy-Cons thinking that, you know, I'll use them on my, on my launch switch, uh, and then it kept changing layers while I was trying to draw stuff, which went as about as well as you can expect. One of the good things about this is though you can switch between left-handed and right-handed controls. So you're if you're a lefty like I am, you're not uh, left behind because all like the undo is the tool that you're going to use the absolute most. That would be mapped to the left Joy-Con. Uh, otherwise, uh, being able to switch that to the right and my stabilizing hand is a you know a massive benefit. Uh, however, uh, the cable is very annoying as a left-hander because the headphone jack on the switch is on the right-hand side, and that means the cable either drags across the front of the screen or behind the console and doesn't give you quite as much slack as you would like. So as a control scheme for something that you would mostly use the pen with, it's still kind of cumbersome and inelegant, but it's workable and you can get used to it. Uh, one of the things I, I thought of, is it a game or is it software? And it's it's kind of both. So there is a feature in this called Colors Quest. Uh, this has you paint for 20 minutes a day to a theme or a challenge or a question or uh, just a loose idea. And the idea is that you do this every day for 20 minutes and you, you'll slowly build up your little skills. But uh, it does lack something that something like Art Academy on the DS and 3DS had, which is it has no art lessons, like it doesn't teach you anything. So to get anything out of this, you have to already have some kind of semblance of the basics uh, if you're going to make good art with it and it doesn't really teach you anything about the tools or the controls or anything like that which is a, a bit of a shame but it's there um i like the idea of a little daily activity to help you little, like brush up and stuff i just i just wish it was a little bit more detailed uh, the next question is with it being slightly cumbersome can you make great art on colors live on the switch uh, and my answer is yes with caveats firstly the built-in uh, community gallery absolutely kind of proves that you can make great art with it but this also comes with its uh with its own caveat which is when you look at the gallery it's cross-platform and some of those platforms allow you to use different tools some of them have different features as we've already established and the hardware is slightly different so it's not an exact one-to-one -one. so just because you see something amazing on the community gallery doesn't mean you can instantly do it on the switch but you know the cross-platform gallery isn't a negative like that it's a huge benefit because for me when i'm when i'm doing art like if i see someone do it with an amazing painting uh sometimes like it'll have the effect where i feel like i'm not uh, good enough and it'll make me not want to try 
but equally there there are as many times where i'll see something amazing and i'll want to like start painting instantly just because you know it's inspiration you want to improve and you want to try different uh, techniques that you've seen other people do like this is a really good part of colors live i think it's uh amazing that this is like baked in uh the community is already there it's still active like because this game was on the, the 3ds like it's still really busy which surprised me because I, I i had no idea about like its legacy or what they brought with it the thing is though like when i'm going through the the community gal- gallery a lot of the really really good drawings are done using the 3ds um and that kind of highlights the difference in the precision between the pen that you get with the switch version and the ds stylus uh the ds stylus is way more precise because of that little plastic disc thing on on the switch i'm having a hard time really nailing my own precision the other thing is uh so you can export and share your art obviously to that community gallery and it also automatically creates a time lapse for you so you can see how people made things um so that's really neat uh so you can see the steps they took and you know that's also a learning process um so maybe when i said the game itself doesn't really teach you anything that's kind of harsh it just does it in a a different area and if you're new to this and you're low on confidence then you might not even go in there to take a look straight away so that's uh they should uh, advertise that a hell of a lot more um but yeah the community thing I think that's a really valuable learning tool and I love that it's in here and I love that it's still thriving. So back to that original question, can you make great art with Colors Live? Uh, Yes, you can because art is not about your tools, it's about the craft and you can work around the tools as long as you know the fundamentals. Just, I just feel like making great art on the Switch is going to take you a little longer and is a bit harder, Um, especially when it's missing like mainline features like clipping masks and alpha locks uh, which are things i use in every piece i do and they help speed up the process a lot so as an art package that's only part game what's the audience for this i mean there definitely is one the community itself being active proves that there is a big audience i bought it as i said as a curio and probably won't engage with it long term um looking at the features and how it works and how you have to draw on the switch uh, it's kind of, it's in that thing where it's both more than I hoped and less than I expected in different areas. However, I think there is a lot of value here for kids. So uh, the screen size thing, obviously kids with smaller hands, they won't find that sc- uh, screen size as restrictive as I do. They're less likely to keep smacking the, the the analog sticks. That's one hell of a way to get drift. As a package, it's relatively cheap. Uh, if you already have a Switch, you can get them this they can engage with the core concepts of digital painting uh and without the overwhelm of like feature rich software such as photoshop or what i use on pc which is clip studio paint and procreate an ipad pro um as a tool i don't think any professional artist would ever use this unless to experiment uh, for fun or to sketch out quick ideas when they only have their switch on them um but that's not who this is for uh, so for someone like me who's used those other tools and is used to those other tools, going to this from those can feel like nothing but a step back. But for a kid exploring the core concepts and basics of art before stepping up to those tools, I can definitely see value in that. And I, I, I think that's worthwhile. And I think that's the audience that they should be aiming for. And uh, I hinted at it earlier, I, I'm pretty sure this uh, this package is act- actively supported and is 
getting more features and they're still working on it. Like if you go to their website, all the FAQs are around. We're focused on the Nintendo Switch version at the moment. Um, I highly recommend checking out the Colors Live website to have a flick through the gallery and just to see what what people can do uh, with the software because it, it is really impressive and very inspiring. Tori, you said you had a, a slight interest before we started recording. Have I swayed or convinced? I mean, I'm coming from the angle of I'm more of a graphic designer in terms of layouts rather than illustration but it's a skill Mm -hmm. that i want to develop and i thought maybe this is an accessible option without having to buy a whole new tablet or anything Mm -hmm. um but now i'm not so sure uh maybe if i find it for sale it's something i can just play around with but i don't think it's going to be much value to me at full price as it is Mm -hmm. it's a fun experiment and uh, you're on pc right yeah like, it's not like the old days, there are a bunch of affordable, decent art packages now. Like, it doesn't have to be Photoshop. Um, Clip Studio is is moderately priced. Uh, there are others, you know, like PaintShop Pro and all, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you have other options. Yeah, m- most of my work is more playing around with um, layers and uh, document layouts and, and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and composition, but um, illustration's always been a skill that I've wanted to brush up. But, boom, boom. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, you said it too. I saw it. (laughs) I didn't even catch myself. Oh my God, am I losing my power? Um, Okay, so, uh, Tori, you've been playing uh, Animal Crossing Happy Home Paradise and much of the 2.0 update for Animal Crossing New Horizons. How are you going with that? Yeah, um, well, it's a good segue from um, graphic design in terms of layout and composition because that's basically what this game... (laughs) Uh, well, DLC is. Totally meant it as well. <laughs> yeah, well, good segue. If you've played Happy Home Designer on the 3DS, uh, you, it's going to be very familiar. Uh, the characters are mostly the same with Lottie, uh, with a couple of new characters. Uh, I can't remember his name. I think it's Wardell. Wardell. Uh, and Nico, which is a cute little funny monkey man. They have a sort of uh, resort island that's opened up, and they're getting people to come in to get a customized and uh, personalized, um, what do you call it, vacation home. These villagers will come up, they'll have an idea in mind of what they want. Uh, like the first example is Eloise, a little elephant villager who wants a reading room. So you basically just make a little nice area that you would consider nice for reading. They all have their requests, they all have furniture that they provide that they want you to use, which is a good hint at, you know, what to pair with it. Uh, you can change the, the flooring and the walls and even the ceiling now. Just throw in everything. I like to just throw in everything from the uh, catalogue and then rearrange it. I just go, that's good, <laughs> that's good, that's good, rather than focusing on each one individually at a time. You can also do the outside as well, so you can change like the colour and the shape of the house as well as outdoor furniture to kind of make a a theme all together. I find that this is one of the harder parts. Uh, you can just use like a whole bunch of trees and flowers and bushes and everything. But one of the villagers will say that they want a office to work away from home, which is a bit strange, but I guess with the year or two years that we've just had, it's kind of a, a relatable uh, desire. But how do you decorate the outside for that? That's one of the things that I uh, really struggled with because the inside, I just turned it into a home office. I, I, actually, I just turned it into an office, not even a home office. 
with like the um, cubicle walls and everything. Yeah, it just, it was such a bizarre request. It doesn't feel like a holiday home. So I feel like it does kind of um, lose its vision sometimes <laughs> in, in regards to that. Some of them are cool. One of them wanted a um, club to spin his own tunes. So I made like a little nightclub and invited some villagers <laughs> over with the amiibo just to like pose for photos. Put that little new um, gangster looking hamster, Marlo, I think. Put him in the back in the VIP area to make it look like he's conducting business. But it's fun seeing on Twitter everyone else. Because remember when Pokemon new Pokemon Snap came out, everyone's taken the same sorts of photos. Mm-hmm. I'm finding that this is the sim- a similar thing, but instead of everyone taking similar photos, you can see that they're working with the same villager and they come to a completely different conclusion to you. Mm-hmm. They use completely different wallpaper or furniture and everything. It's really unique. Uh, I'm really enjoying seeing how other people have, you know, interpreted the brief and come up with their own uh, designs. Uh, On top of designing homes for villages, uh, every now and then Lottie will come up to you and say that they want to have a new facility on the island, on the main island. Um, The first one is a school. And again, just seeing... On Twitter, everyone's got a different idea of a school. One of them had like a more of a kindergarten feel to it. Some of them look like Japanese classrooms. Some of them just look like a university or a high school. It's really cool just to see there's a limited amount of items in the game, but everyone comes up with these completely different results. Uh, I believe there's a hospital later on as well. Um, kind of creepy because Lottie will say that she's recruited some patients, which sounds... <laughs> she's poisoning people. <laughs> Something like that. Um, and the end goal of this is that you get paid for this. This is an actual job in the universe. But instead of getting paid in bells, you get paid in a new currency called uh, Pokey. Itchy and um, scratchy money. Yeah, itchy and scratchy bucks. Uh, you can only spend them in the shop on the uh, resort island uh but there's like a unique set of items that will rotate through there it's just another shop to visit really which is fine i just wish there was some kind of exchange between bells and pokey or something but there just simply isn't and also when you see the villages that you've made houses for on the main resort island just hanging out on the beach they'll sometimes give you diy recipes and Uh, furniture that you've used in their house it's just a another way to get items i guess Mm -hmm. there's also a whole bunch of new recipes based on this glowing moss that appears on this island it's yeah it's just a strange way to do a whole bunch of new items um this update in total there's nine thousand new items so they've gone all out but more on the the 2.0 update because uh, all of that's part of the DLC. That's like a, a separate game within a game, basically. Some of the features from that will roll over. So things like the partition walls and changing the uh, exterior of your villagers' houses on the island. Uh, you'll unlock those features for your actual home island as you play the DLC. But if you don't have the DLC, there's still tons to, to check out in the new update, like cooking. Uh, you can grow vegetables and crops, so like um, potatoes, tomatoes, carrots, wheat and sugarcane, as well as the pumpkins that they already had for Halloween, um, and a whole bunch of other 
things on, on the island, like uh, the mushrooms that will appear. I think some fish, like sea bass, you can finally get your revenge on the sea bass. There's a pie that you can make. Yeah, you just go to like a little kitchenette and uh, cook up meals. Uh, you can eat them and they'll work like the same as fruit and it'll give you the strength to smash boulders with your shovel. Or you can just display them. There's not much else to them. You unlock recipes as you go, like um, in the bottles that wash up on shore or your villagers will sometimes be cooking and they'll teach you new recipes. But yeah, sadly, there's not much of an end game. I don't know. It would have been nice to like, because your villagers can visit your house now. It would have been nice to be able to like cook something up for them while they visited, have a meal with them. But <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how well, some people sound very realistic because I just when we have visitors I just sit there waiting for them to leave. But that's how I do it in Animal Crossing too, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> just sit in the couch. They'll invite themselves and I'll be like, "Yeah, come in." Sit in the couch and they'll just walk around their living room and go, "Well, it's been nice." <laughs> GTFO. <laughs> yeah, just glare at them. So I used to call these gyroids, but. I've heard a lot of people call them gyroids. I don't know. Either way, they're back. Um, they seem to be redesigned. They're like little cute clay figures that will dance and react to music around them. And there's all these different shapes and sizes and colors. They've added Cap'n back. That's the main way to get um, these little gyroids is to go on a island trip with Cap'n and dig up a gyroid fragment and bring it back, bury it and water it, and the next day it's a full. And part of that will be to unlock uh, Brewster, which will give you the cafe, the roost, and the museum. Uh, Blathers will have the idea to create a cafe. He wants to track down Brewster, so he gives you a photo and you go off with Cap'n to find him randomly on an island. And then you can invite villagers and your friends from other islands to have a coffee with them. Uh, again, there's not much of a purpose to it other than just additional dialogue, but it's great that they've added a whole bunch of old NPC characters that didn't appear in uh, New Horizons, like Mr. Rossetti. You can invite him for a coffee and talk to him, and he seems to have a new job that he enjoys where he's not yelling at people all the time. New villagers. They've got 12 new villagers. I think I think it's actually 24 all up. 12 of them are completely new and 12 of them are returning. There's this new character called, I don't know how to pronounce it, it's either Ion or Eon. Uh, she's a little gamer squirrel and her <laughs> paws glow in the dark. Uh, and she's got like the four screen, the four monitor set up on her PC and yeah, she's cute. She's probably just crypto mining. I hope not. I visited her today and she was cooking pancakes, so... Classic sign of cryptocurrency. Yeah. <laughs> the last big update, which I consider um, like a big quality of life update, is that Harv has opened his island up as a co-op where a whole bunch of traveling uh, NPCs, you know, the ones that will kind of visit for the day, they'll settle down on this island on the days off. Uh, so Sahara, Kix, Red and Leaf are four of those characters. So you already know what they do. They just have a, a like a permanent post when they're not on your island now. So you don't have to wait for them to come. Uh, with Leaf, it's particularly handy with this new update to get the new uh, crops from him because he sells the starters for the new ingredients. Mm -hmm. 
but they've also brought back Katrina, Tortimer, Cyrus and Reese. They're all, um, they're not new characters, but they're new for this. Katrina is like a, um, fortune teller. She'll kind of tell you your fortune in terms of getting more bells or becoming faster friends with your villager. Um, Tortimer will let you access your storage while you're, because Harv isn't on your island. So if you need to access your storage, Tortimer will, uh, do that for you and Cyrus and Reese will customize furniture for you so that if you have items that you can't customize yourself they'll probably be able to do it yeah they you unlock them each one day by day for a hundred thousand bells takes about a week to do it all and then you just have access to a whole bunch of um, merchants basically that just uh, help you progress in Animal Crossing whichever direction that you're going <laughs> so overall it's a great update a lot of this stuff I feel should have been there at the start. Mm -hmm. I can't complain. I'm playing it every day again. Uh, there's a ton, ton of new items, ton of new features, new daily tasks to do. And if I get bored of those tasks, I can always do the Happy Home Paradise. There's a, a lot of content in there and a lot of stuff that you can unlock that you can bring back to the main island. Yeah, I'm happy with it. I'm just sad that this is it. I feel like this is a good stepping off point and they've just decided that this is actually the stopping point. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it sounds like a, a good update, but again, I'm, I'm, I'm not going back at this stage. I don't feel the, the need or the drive. I, I'm, I'm still done with it. Uh, I think Andrew is the same. Yeah. I have, I have no desire to play Animal Crossing again. <laughs> Nothing I saw in this drew me back. I think because I burned out on it much earlier than you two. I've got like a whole bunch of other stuff to catch up on, like the um, seasonal events that they do. Like I'm looking forward to Turkey Day this year because I didn't do it last year. Mm -hmm. I didn't do Halloween properly when that first came out. Mm -hmm. So I'm definitely going to burn out on this again, no doubt. But <laughs> I'm hoping that, you know, I'll get a little bit more extra uh, life out of it. Well, let's move on. Uh, Dying Light, I uh, checked that out this week in lieu of the Grand Theft Auto trilogy being a train wreck, so I'm kind of happy with my decision. Unfortunately, I think I accidentally hyped Tori up for the GTA trilogy, and that didn't go well, so um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll cover that in a future episode, but um, yeah, Dying Light, uh, this was a open world zombie apocalypse scenario where you're like a, a parkour runner doing uh, jobs and tasks and, and progressing through a story of espionage and all that kind of jazz. Um, it's kind of like a spiritual successor to Dead Island because it's by the same team, but it's a it's a, it's its own thing, a, a, a different um, experience entirely. That it does carry over some elements. The, I'm not going to talk much about this. It's an old game. It's one of those like. Uh, you know, seven or eight out of tens that are like pretty decent. I had an okay time with the original one. Um, I kind of played it in the middle of a bunch of other things I really wanted to play. So I kind of, I didn't explore any of the side stuff. I just kept doing the story missions. So this time I'm, I'm taking the opportunity to uh, do some of the extra activities. Um, but the most reason that people want to listen to this is to find out if it's a good port or not. And yes, it is a very good port. I'm quite enjoying it. Um, it's obviously 
you know, you have to stay, say the line that it's obviously not quite as good looking as on way more powerful consoles or hardware. That's obvious, but I'm having a good time with this. I think it looks good enough. Andrew, you were telling me about a, a, a pre-patch frame rate bug that sort of did the opposite to what you'd expect for a Switch port. I saw that in the digital foundry analysis of the game. Uh, you would expect the frame rate to drop below 30 FPS. Instead, it would periodically spike. <laughs> so <laughs> that's unusual, but apparently that's been patched. But yeah, uh, the the game itself is fun. You you know you join up with a, a group of survivors in a building called the Tower, which is very imaginative, um, and you go out and do tasks such as uh, restoring power dealing with enemy factions, taking out zombies. Uh, the twist with this one is that things get a lot more dangerous at night because of a particular enemy type that thrives. You rarely are forced to do that, <laughs> um, but you do get benefits like uh, the XP kind of builds up a lot quicker at night. Um, one thing I am going to do this time is that I'm going to dip into the DLC. Uh, there's one called Hell Raid, which I checked out, which is where you activate an arcade machine in the tower and you'll take it's the same gameplay mecha- uh, gameplay mechanics but you're in an in an in-game game and it's a fantasy setting so you you're playing with swords and uh your health packs are now potions and you have to just go through it i'm getting kind of like a, a little roguelike vibe from it i've only dipped my toe in and then quit out when i died but andrew did you play that one at all I haven't played any of the DLC, actually. Just the base oh, game. Oh, okay. Yeah, because there's also the following as well, where they they take you to a different area and you get uh, buggies. I was convinced you'd played this, but it must have been someone else who I was chatting to when I played it originally. But yeah, uh, so yeah, it's got all the DLC from the original release, of course, um, including all the outfits, man- many of which are just unlocked from the off. You don't need to unlock them. The ridiculous uh, more... number of DLCs this game yeah, got. <laughs> it got loads. Um, like, I can dress as a Viking from the beginning of the game if i want for some reason (laughs) i have no idea why if you're in a zombie apocalypse why wouldn't you dress like a viking it's a fair point i've played i've played i've played nothing matters anymore (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah mechanically solid the missions are fun it's you know if i had to describe it reductively it would be mirror's edge meets dead island but (laughs) uh i the story is kind of ridiculous as these these things are it takes itself sometimes a little too seriously some of the humor is a a bit annoying like there's a, a whole mission set with a, a character called Ghazi who is uh he's not treated the best he has a condition and it's kind of played out at his expense so it punches down a little bit i felt but uh yeah overall it's it's a good package and a fun game I'm, uh it's never going to be a nine out of ten or, or a must play but it's a good little package uh, I'm quite enjoying myself with the Switch port. Uh, and then finally, um, I'm going to imagine these are early impressions only, but uh, Shin Megami Tensei Five finally released, and I know both Tori and Andrew were looking forward to it. Um, who wants to take the lead on this one? So Shin Megami Tensei Five announced in 2017, and it's finally out. Um, like this year, we just found out that it still exists, and literally everything else about the game just in a short matter of months and now it's out this is the series that persona spun off of i'm going to get that out of the way Mm -hmm. um this is something that a lot of people are going to compare to persona especially because everyone really wants a 
mainline Persona game on Switch. Mm-hmm. Um, the the other thing is uh, Shin Megami Tensei fans get really upset if you compare it to Persona, which is ridiculous because I think it's a fair comparison point if it's a spin-off, you know, it's... It's a fair it's a comparison thing. point, but if you go in expecting a Persona game, you're going to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't care. They're, they've got a lot of similarities, but a lot of the similarities play more out in the battle system rather than the actual mm. uh, presentation of the game. Um, Persona is more like a, uh, what do you call it? Like a, it's every day, you're a high school student, you're going out and kind of solving saving the world in your spare time but there's the, time the power of friendship literally mm-hmm. um, shimigami tensei is more about the relationship between you and the demons that you recruit uh the battle system is very similar in in terms of weaknesses and affinities uh even the spell names will look identical to persona mm-hmm. uh shimigami tensei tends to focus more on the press turn combat where getting critical hits or exploiting an enemy's weakness will give you more turns on your turn uh typically every party member on your team will have a turn each but if any of your party members um exploit a weakness or hit a critical you'll get another turn again so it will kind of cycle through back from the beginning before the enemy gets a chance to react but the downside is is that the enemy can do the same so if your enemy actually gets a weakness exploits your weaknesses back they'll get an extra um move on their turn and quite often that's how that's actually how i've died three times <laughs> now where they just got a weakness and they exploit the weakness again and then they got a critical and that just ended up in a team wipe just because they have the same advantages that you the player does that's the majority of the game in my opinion in shimigami tensei is the battles you spend a lot more time battling than in Persona, where it's more of a, a life simulator on the side. Mm-hmm. But um, I really appreciate it for that. I tend to hate grinding in JRPGs, but Shimagami Tensei kind of makes the entire experience a grind, which means that it doesn't feel like one, if that makes sense. It doesn't feel like you're just doing basic battles for hours and hours. It actually feels like... You know, you might be trying to recruit a specific demon for a fusion to get a more powerful demon. Leveling up feels uh, really nice. The music as well for leveling up is really awesome. <laughs> I haven't even left the first area yet. I've played for three hours and, I mean, dying doesn't help either. But it just feels like a game that's really just asking you to respect its systems, to really pay attention to what you're doing. I'm mean, just playing on normal as well. It's not that it's hard, it's just that it requires your attention and some strategic thinking in the battles. Uh, as for the actual setting, uh, it starts off in a high school as if, you know, they're begging for people to compare it. But the whole high school setting, it's barely in there for like 10, 15 minutes before you get transported into a post-apocalyptic version of Tokyo. And you're in trouble, obviously. You're just a human. So this mysterious being called Aogami comes out of nowhere and says, hey, do you want to fuse? And naturally you say yes, and you create a being called the Nahobino, which is kind of like a half-god. Yes, so this Nahobino being is controlled by the player character, um, but you're given the powers of Algami to, you know, be half-demon and 
you know, use their powers as well. So that's like your your magic and uh, and the like. But um, beyond that, I haven't played too much. I uh, really just gotten through that first, not even through the first area yet. So I'm hoping to play more this week so that I can talk more about it. It's a very mysterious game in terms of what it's really about. Uh, SMT games tend to be about lore and chaos, and it's very heavily inspired by uh, Christian mythology. Not only Christian mythology, there'll be like a lot of mythological and religious um, imagery in this, but Christianity tends to be the uh, the focal point in terms of God and demons. So beyond that, I don't really know what the game is fully about yet. The marketing seems to be about embracing godhood, uh, but I'm going in rather blind because part of figuring out, uh, part of what I love about this game is figuring out what the hell is going on. Um, SMT4 kind of throws a curveball at you very early on in terms of setting, which I really liked. So I'm hoping that SMT5 is going to do something similar, but for the most part, it feels like it's resembling SMT3 in terms of just exploring a post-apocalyptic version of Tokyo, which is fine. Um, graphically, it looks really good. A little low resolution, few frame stutters here and there, but it looks like they're really pushing the switch on this one, which again makes me feel like a new model is coming out, but we'll see. I'm just looking forward to, you know, figuring what figuring out what the hell is going on. I don't know what to make of SMT yet. Uh, I haven't played one before. <laughs> this is the, my first <laughs> one. I didn't like the demon recruitment system at first, and I, I'm still not sure if I'm sold on it. My, I just know my, my immediate reaction to it was negative. But you can talk to demons in battle and try to convince them to join your team instead. And I was like, oh boy, it's a... It's a mons fighter with really uninteresting mons, and it seems completely random how you get them to join up. Like they will say or do something, and you have to say or do something in response. And it's not consistent between monsters what'll happen. And then, no. yeah, yeah, it's not random. It's every demon has a different personality, and they respond differently to different reactions that you do basically mm. so the randomness is more like what responses they'll give you to bounce off of but for the most part you can recruit multiple of the same demon in the same way as long as you get the same scenarios from them but mm. yeah it, it it's basically trying to figure out how to talk to people in real life if you have an anxiety disorder because it doesn't make sense <laughs> There will be, like, um, one of the examples was they were like, I want to be in a play. Uh, you're in it too. What role do you want to play? And yet I, I went with, I want to be the supporting cast. And they're like, yeah, because I want to be the lead. And it's like, it's that sort of anticipating what they're going to say because you just, you have no idea. They can react in the most unpredictable ways. But you, you do get used to it it just feels jarring at first uh sometimes if you i don't know if it's in this one it hasn't happened to me yet but in the other ones if you defeat all the other enemies like give them a trouncing the last one will be like uh i'll i'll join you 
just let me live. And I haven't run into that yet, and that's usually how I recruit them is I beat everything else that I don't want first. And I haven't really found a reason to recruit more than one. Um, I'm close to hitting the cap on all the demons I can have in my party and in my, my banks, and hopefully I can uh, really expand out my slots because I have found one upgrade I can use to increase the number of demons I can have, but it only increases it by one. And Yeah. Yeah, like my... If in a game like this, I'm either going to try to get them all, or I'm just not going to bother getting any of them. <laughs> and I just, I don't know which extreme I'm going to go to. What I'd recommend is doing the, um, I don't know if you've unlocked it yet, but there's Demon Fusion. No, no, I haven't got that far yet, and I'm not excited to hear about that. It's basically using those demons that you have to create new, more powerful demons, and you can bring forward their abilities I just want um, to play a game with distinct characters. I just I don't care about all this just random trash monsters joining your party. I've never liked games like that. Pokemon is like the one exception, and that's only because I've been playing that since I was like twelve or thirteen years old. Like if Pokemon came out today, I would just well, I don't even have to say if it came out today, I wouldn't be interested in. Pokemon does come out today. I'm not interested in it anymore because I just <laughs> I just don't care about RPGs that don't have distinct characters anymore. I just I'm just done with them and. <laughs> Like, uh, when I'm playing SMT5, like, I, I can get caught up in the systems, at least, when I'm playing it, but, like, sitting here now, I'm like, uh, yeah, I, I could I could live without this game in my life, and I would not care in the slightest. Yeah, that's, um, if you're playing SMT for a strong story, in terms of actual narrative and storytelling, it's probably not the game for you. Hmm. Um, there are character moments... Most likely. I haven't encountered any yet. Um, but I noticed that even in SMT3, it's really... It, it's hard to explain without making it sound bad. But it really is just about being a such a small being in a world full of gods and demons. And, you know, the, the fate of the world is at play. And you're just trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Uh, but for the most part, in SMT3 at least, you're alone. In SMT4, I'm pretty sure you can have um, a bit more dialogue with the characters. But 5 feels like they're trying to be like SMT3 again, where they're just kind of throwing you in alone. They introduce some characters at the start that will show up throughout the game, but it's not about developing relationships with these characters. It's more like they represent different virtues, because the game's all about symbology or symbolism. Yeah, it's very grandiose in its... Uh, presentation i have enjoyed exploring the small bit of the world i've gotten in it's like it's not really an open world but you can run back and forth on the pads you unlock and everything that i've encountered so far has been a corridor i haven't run into like any big open field area yet maybe that comes later or maybe everything is just a corridor and that's fine but i I have had like the most enjoyment in the game just running back and forth along these corridors just finding the things i missed like there are these things called memons apparently there's 200 of them at least 200 of them and you got to find all of them and i found i'm at like nine i've found so like i guess wow. i'm a 120th of the way through the game already i don't know <laughs> if they're really spread out evenly like that but that's kind of how i'm uh interpreting that and like there are like explorative systems i guess would be the word i'd want to use like uh i i beat this thing called an abscess which was this yep. demon 
infestation in a particular path that was blocking my way forward and i'm supposed to hunt down more abscesses so i can get this currency called uh glory i think it's called that you can use to buy like permanent upgrades for your character like increases miracles yeah miracles yeah like yeah. they at the start when you level up you don't gain any hit points or mana when you level up which is super weird for an rpg like uh they increase but like your base levels where you're at doesn't reset where you're usually in an rpg when you get a level up your hit point meter tops out so you have to buy the miracle for that to happen so that's that's interesting and like you can deliberately make the game harder for yourself if you want to by just never buying that miracle so that's that's kind of interesting you can do that so i'm most interested in playing this game just to explore the world and find things like the memons and the abscesses that's what i've been most interested in but like the demon stuff and all that and i I, i'm not saying i'm bored by it i'm just i'm not remotely interested in it and if that's what could be the entire games like emphasis is put on i i'll probably finish the game but i'm just i'm gonna go eh (laughs) yeah it's going to heavily encourage you to do that demon fusion to progress in if you're playing on a like normal or higher just i'm on i'm on normal yeah after a certain point demons stop learning skills Mm -hmm, i've noticed that already yeah yeah so that it's kind of encouraging you like you've maxed out the potential of these demons now put them together to make something new and max out that potential. I just want them to give me something I can care about. Like, I don't care about demons, especially if I'm encouraged to give them up to get something better. It's like, I have no investment in this. Why, why should I care? Yeah. Like, um, at least, at least in Pokemon, I, I got really attached to my Eevee team. Like that was one of the things that kept me motivated to finish this. But like, if the demon I pick up at the start of the game is going to, be gone within four or five hours it's like oh yeah it's more about the the end game because the the most powerful demons needs very specific fusions especially if you want them to have particular skills like certain elements in the mm-hmm. late game i see the appeal of it but i also see the tedium of it i i i still have to look up guides for it it's not that intuitive for sure mm-hmm. but um it's interesting uh, and sometimes the demon fusions can go wrong as well. So you go in expecting a certain result and then it comes out something completely different. And that might be better, but it might be worse. I was going to use this weekend to decide if I wanted to carry on with SMT5 or if I wanted to go back to Monster Hunter Stories 2, which uh, I only played for the one weekend over the summer. Right now, if I were to make that decision right now, uh, I would, I'd go back to Monster Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Monster, Monster Hunter also has the monster recruitment stuff, but it also has distinct characters for me to, you know, get attached to and care about. Yeah. So, yeah. SMT is a very hands-off approach to um, getting you invested. That's It's not for everyone. Um, I like it because it adds to the mystery of it. It's kind of like why I like Metroid games is because... There aren't really characters to get too attached to. It's all about getting yeah. lost in the world. I think that's probably why I wasn't real wild about Metroid. It's like, yeah, Samus is there. And there's a few yeah. other characters which are pretty cool, but they're they're only in one or two cutscenes. I think this is why they said it was Persona without the heart. Because mm, yeah. they're not entirely wrong. This isn't a feel-good story. This is a, a, a story about gods and demons and the netherworld and finding your place and sticking to your morals within this sort of uh world it's not about 
the power of friendship. It's not about um, overcoming impossible odds. It's just about staying true to yourself when the world is over. And again, that that's not for everyone. <laughs> I'll just play Fallout for that. <laughs> I think Fallout has more character than SMT. Tons more. But anyway, that's another topic. There's no Fallout games on Switch. so <laughs> Yet. Yeah, we'll see. I'm not going to hold my breath on that. Yeah. Okay, folks, what are we playing in the coming week? Andrew, we'll start with you. I'm finally going to play the other half of the Subnautica bundle. I'm going to play Below Zero. Uh, Tori? Um, SMT5 is going to be my focus. <laughs> uh, and for me, I'm going to be checking out Football Manager Touch 2022. Uh, something I've been looking forward to. That's going to be my uh, my Liverpool save on handheld. So uh, look forward to more on that. Thanks for listening to this episode of In Focus. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Also make sure to check out our sister shows, PlayState for PlayStation and Power of X for Xbox. Also be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively GamePodular community. You can also follow us on Twitter and YouTube and at gamepodular.com for updates, news and other content. You can find the links for all of these in the show notes. If you'd like to support our shows, you can buy us a coffee or become a GamePodular Patreon. The details for both of these things are on our website. Thanks in advance. This episode was edited by our host Andy. You can find him on Twitter at FlameRoastToast and you can see his previously mentioned hobbyist art at DeviantArt. Just search for FlameRoastToast. We also have Andrew at PlayCritically on Twitter and you can check out his long form reviews at playcritically.com and you can find myself on Twitter at stew2 s-t-w-t-w-o I also stream many of the games I talk about on this show at twitch.tv slash tori s-t-w 